Root, Mark Cassidy, and Lisa Zeiler, as well as Justin Katz and Deb Lane. The cost is $10 with a sliding scale available. For more information, call Berkeley Cop Watch at 510-548-0425. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and I wish everyone a glorious International Women's Day. (laughs) Yes, the whole month, yes, it's Women's History Month. Last month was um, Black History Month, and the other ten months of the year, (laughs) we celebrate the devil, yes. Um, I had to cheer myself up this past weekend. And I went to a play. I went over to San Francisco uh, to see a production called What Do the Women Say? It's Golden Thread Productions. And my problem is that it's over. I feel terrible. Here I'm talking about it on the air, and I can't tell you where to go to see it. But there's a chance it will be extended. And the company, I think, they will find other uses for these pieces. Golden Thread Productions, the Sheet Theater Company. They put together um, an evening of theater. There was a play, two poems, and a dance. Um, that sounds so arbitrary. There were a lot more than that. I went to the Thick House. That's... Um, on 18th Street at Arkansas in San Francisco. And I'll give you the phone number in case you want to call up these people and ask them whether they're going to move this show to a new venue. Uh, what I liked about it was not just that it was about the Middle East, but that it was what we call cutting edge. I'm afraid that um, much as I love um, the old stuff, I, I don't need to see Ibsen's A Dollhouse anymore. You know, been there, done that, got that. This one... Let's see, they started with a play called Remains. We see, there were just three actors, um, a mother with the remains of her daughter, um, a journal and some odds and ends in a box. Um, It's a play about an American college girl, a girl of 20 who goes to Israel, she visits Palestine, she wants to find out what it's like in the Middle East. And she just has a wonderful time, a mind-opening experience, um, and learns a lot, especially because she's a Muslim. Uh, she's an American Muslim among Jews. But she's caught up in circumstances not of her own making. And when she's murdered, the our State Department um, decides that, well, you know, <laughs> she must have been a terrorist. Or Anyway, a fellow traveler 
the play is all about ambiguity at the same time it's all about the ordinary joys of being young and looking for answers uh i think this play yes this play will develop and we will see it we will see it a little further down the line i love the role of the woman who was the bureaucrat who comes from uh i think the senator's office you know to take down the details of the case from the mother uh she wears this wonderful suit. It reminded me of Tilda Swinton in that movie, Female Perversions. Yes, the um, official, yes, an official bureaucrat. Uh, that role is becoming more and more apparent in our films and stories there. It's it's a kind of a bureaucratic zombie all of us are familiar with. Um, it's, um, what is that? It's a, it's a fascist, fascist face. Uh, pretty as can be difficult. Anyway, the two poems were incredibly beautiful. Prostitute Song is by Nobel nominated poet, um, Simon, uh, Beahani, Apache Down, and, oh, the, the dance at the end is called Rope, a mystical interpretation of belly dance by Lana Nasser. Her name is L-A-N-A. N-A-S-S-E-R. I want to see more of her work. Uh, she's a modern dancer. Uh, she mixed the ethnic dance with uh, her dance's poetry in motion. Uh, it's still with me. It was an incredibly beautiful piece of art. Uh, boy, do I need a little art now. Yes, be with me, beauty, for the fire is dying. Today I want to talk about something serious. I hope next week I can... <laughs> Try for something funny, yes. Now, yeah, women have a sense of humor, yes. Oh, oh. Uh, today, we're going to be serious. I want to talk about Nawal El Sadawe. She's off to Egypt to run for president. Heard her on Amy Goodman's show. I can't imagine what she thinks she's doing. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, if we're going to have suicide bombers, we might as well get uh, some of the old folks, you know, to walk into the fire as well. Uh, freedom fighters. Uh, I'm frightened that of course something will happen to this good woman she's uh my age a little older i think uh she's my hero or uh well she's a warrior woman uh i, I guess i'll pick nawal el sadawe for woman of the year uh she's been an egyptian activist all her life and uh i suppose running for president will uh, put the cap on things uh she She's always very earthy and basic, saying that women must not wait around to be liberated. You know, you must liberate yourself. It's no good yelling uh, at Mr. Bush. In the early 1980s, I was so deeply impressed with the work of Dr. Sadawe that I came here to KPFA Radio. I was just a actor and a writer. I demanded some airtime to get uh, Dr. Sadawe out of jail. And I published some articles in the local newspapers and so forth. And, uh, well, it, it happened. Uh, we got her out of jail and she came here to Berkeley. Uh, let's see. Yes, that was the first radio show that I did on KPFA. It was 1982. And, uh, I was studying female genital mutilation. Dr. Nawal El Sadawe is, uh, an obstetrician, an, uh, gynecologist. And she had written this book suggesting that it was, uh, 
not a good idea for women to have their uh, genitals cut off, that it harms their physical and mental health. Uh, uh, people were not just startled, they were deeply offended uh, that the subject even came up. Um, her book, I believe it is the first book, certainly the first book published in the Middle East um, about female genital mutilation. It was called The Hidden Face of Eve, and it's a study in OBGYN horror stories. Uh, Dr. Sadawe describes her own excision on the bathroom floor when she was six years old. I will quote this paragraph for you. Uh, she writes in The Hidden Face of Eve, I do not know how many of them there were, nor do I remember their faces, or whether they were men or women. The world to me seemed enveloped in a dark fog, which prevented me from seeing. Perhaps they put some kind of a cover over my eyes, something like an iron grasp caught hold of my hand and my arms and my thighs, so that I was unable to resist or even to move. I also remember the icy touch of the bathroom tiles under my naked body and the unknown voices and humming sounds interrupted now and then by a rasping metallic sound which reminded me of the butcher when he used to sharpen his knife before slaughtering a sheep for the Eid. That's, that's spelled E-I-D. It's a festival of sacrifice in the Muslim religion. Uh, the Hidden Face of Eve was first published in London in 1980 by Z Press might be able to find copies of it in the library. Uh, I have a list of a whole a dozen books now on the practice of uh, female genital mutilation. You will want to look for the works of Alice Walker on this subject uh, as well. Fran P. Hoskin uh, put out uh, The Hoskin Report, Genital and Sexual Mutilation of Females, uh, shortly after, yes, let's see, she revised it, updated it. It came out again in 1993. Uh, so many books. If I have time at the end, I'll give you a, a list. But I think if you go to any woman's bookstore or to the library, they will give you all the information you may want to read. Most people simply cannot bear to uh, look at this uh, uh, obscenity. Dr. Sadawe was jailed along with um, approximately 1,800 dissidents by Anwar Sadat during a period in the uh, early 80s. Uh, she and her Marxist husband were considered a threat to the social order. The law they used to send her to Kanatar women's prison outside Cairo is an Egyptian law, I think it's number law number 96, quote, for the protection of values from shame, unquote. As a physician, Dr. Sadawe dealt with the horrific medical complications of excision, mutilation, infibulation, from attendant infections, loss of life from bleeding, birth defects, brain damage suffered by infants, and so on and so on. Following many months of imprisonment, Dr. Sadawe was released in 1982. She came here to Berkeley then. She was at Wheeler Auditorium on the UC Berkeley campus, and <laughs> it was quite a scene. She was denounced there by Islamic fundamentalists. Uh, a group of women in veils walked out in great, um, great chagrin, 
and uh, several gentlemen cursed her. Uh, she was also lauded by her countrymen and countrywomen and those of us who were trying to be supportive. Uh, uh, this issue is one that is seriously misunderstood. It is not about tradition. It's about child abuse. Uh, it's about uh, torture. Alice Walker states in her book that this is not an issue of culture, but of torture. Her book is called Warrior Marks. Yes, Marks of a Warrior. Well, I'm not sure. Um, she also has a book called Possessing the Secret of Joy, a novel that I've read here on KPFA, little bits of... Uh, between 90 and 100 million women of all ages now living have had their childhoods and their womanhood, so-called, torn away by this tradition, tradition of genital mutilation. This is an operation in which the clitoris is slit or partially removed, uh, in some cases called pharaonic circumcision. It is completely removed all the... Uh, uh, all the external organs are removed. This is done without anesthesia, uh, although I've heard recently that in the Sudan, uh, they've begun to use anesthesia and do it in an a, a anesthetic setting. Yes. Uh, but in most cases, it is done with crude implements, such as uh, razors, broken glass. This is obviously uh, uh, an invitation to terrible infections, Many children are sometimes excised at the same time. Uh, that, of course, increases the risk of spreading HIV. In most cases, uh, in many cases, clitoral excision is followed by that procedure, the pharaonic procedure, in which the labia are cut away and the remaining flesh sewn together. Catgut and or thorns uh, are used. If this wound bleeds then the vagina is almost completely sealed. A straw or other small stick can be used to leave the girl a pinhole opening. This means it can take her hour to pass urine drop by drop. This painful process is multiplied by the backup, backup of menstrual blood. The pain of penetration during sexual intercourse sends many women to the hospital. Penetration may require the use of a knife, in some communities, it is the custom to take many weeks or months to achieve penetration. There are often repeated hemorrhages, tearing, even making of new wounds. Traditionally, the women are sewn, re-sewn, after each birth. All of this is to ensure virginity before marriage and chastity thereafter. The question most of us would ask is why? When most governments now condemn this practice and have outlawed it, yes, it was, uh, I think, 56, 1956, outlawed in Egypt, and yet this, uh, this continues, and the practice, if anything, is on the increase. Is this ancient practice on the rise in the same way that other crimes and abuses against women are escalating? It is a very old ritual. It dates back long before the coming of the Prophet. There is no justification for the practice to be found in the Koran, although many fundamentalists believe this to be so. This gelding of women goes back to an age when women became property, the private property of males. 
The Greek historian Herodotus reports on female excision in ancient Egypt in the 5th century B.C., that's 2,500 years ago. Is it possible that genital mutilation is only an extreme form of patriarchal social control and that like all other forms, it responds to the backlash to what I call Venus envy or fear of female sexuality, female procreative power? During periods of heightened danger to women, all forms of abuse may be seen to escalate. Think back to the European witch hunts, yes. Ah, I have many articles on that subject. Let's just skip over that one. We'll save that for another day. Um, I do always like to make a connection between the past and uh, what's going on today, which is not... (laughs) Not very different at all. Yes, the past isn't past. Today's pornographic mind seems to be looking at women in ways that uh, continue to dehumanize them. Many women in all cultures are suffering from what I would call slave status. They may have the illusion of being complete, at least here in the West. But I wonder... Their wounds uh, are both physical and psychological. All women internalize oppression to a greater or lesser degree. Alice Walker's work put this issue of FGM, female genital mutilation, on the map. Uh, It even got to prime time. Television, yes. uh, Alice Walker began with the fiction, yes, that novel possessing the secret of joy. I'm sure you can find that in the bookstores. Uh, It needs metaphor, it needs a novel, because it's soul murder. In the book, we come to understand that the secret of joy is resistance, resistance to this oppression. In the novel, the definitive line is, quote, man is God's cock, unquote. (laughs) Made me think, of a male in a documentary film I saw at the Berkeley Women's Film Festival. Uh, Many years ago, that film was made by a Somali woman. Her name is Soroya Mire, S-O-R-A-Y-A, first name, Mire, M-I-R-E. The title of her movie is Fire Eyes. The man she documents in the film states that, yes, he would prefer his wife to be sewn, He added, well, you wouldn't leave home without locking the door. The filmmaker is heard telling him that a woman is not a door. Uh, There is another passage, yes, uh, in which a man, yes, he he explains carefully that he would not uh, want there to be sexual tension in his home. He has uh, two wives, and therefore he prefers the women to be sown and excised, their sexuality destroyed. Uh, uh, The woman, the filmmaker, was at a screening here in Berkeley at the UC Theater, and there were several local doctors, uh, doctors here from the United States, uh, who were uh, uh, completely shocked and confused. Uh, One of them explained that the first time he came across this procedure, he thought that the patient, the woman he was examining, had been in an accident. Uh, His nurses had to explain to him what had happened. Uh, This filmmaker 
herself has undergone mutilation and she spoke openly about the fact that she has no intimate sexual life of any kind. She has had some surgery performed to repair structural damage, but as one of the doctors in her film says, no one can restore that which has been destroyed. Uh, I was especially moved by a scene in the film in which she sits beside a woman about to undergo reconstructive surgery similar to her own. She reassures the woman and explains how much improvement is possible. Still, I couldn't help wondering how any woman who has been through all that has been excised. How could such a woman bring herself to trust anyone, especially a doctor? especially anyone who promises to improve her lot. Now, in the culture, uh, excision itself is held out to young girls as a purification rite. The girls who are not excised are often ostracized by their peers. There's another book uh, about the mutilated one called Prisoners of Ritual by Hanny Lightfoot Klein. That book came out in 1989. She documents the lives of the women and the men entrapped in this antiquated ritual. Uh, she says that some groups, uh, she mentions the Bambara people, they believe that the clitoris is poisonous and, quote, it will kill a man if it comes in contact with his penis during intercourse. There are other beliefs about the dangers of the clitoris to the child during birth. Uh, the uh, yes, there's a group on the Ivory Coast believing that a non-excised woman cannot conceive. The clitoris is said to interfere with a woman's menstruation, impregnation, and childbirth. In Burkini Faso, it is believed that the clitoris has the power to render women impotent. Now, what 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 is this clitoris, and why are people saying such terrible things about it? I... I do want to read you something on that subject. Uh, I see that I have five times the material I need today, but so I'm going to skip around wildly. But I do want to just mention something about this this wonderful organ, this mysterious organ. Uh, in some in some um, texts, it's pronounced clitoris. <laughs> I love that. Yes, after a group of Greek um, Amazons. Ah, oh, yeah, that's terrific. It comes from the Greek clitoris spelled K-L-E-I-T-O-R-I-S, meaning divine, famous, godlike. In Greek myth, it was personified, yes, um, as an Amazon queen named Clytai, K-L-E-I-T-E, yes. The phallus was personified as uh, Priapus, Oh, these women, these warrior women, founded a city in Italy and uh, in Corinth, the queen of the tribe, Clyta, yes, she was the princess, quote, whom Artemis made to grow tall and strong. That is an allegory, of course, of her erection. The Arcadian city of Clytor was sacred to Artemis or to Demeter. It stood at the genital shrine of the earth, at the headwaters of the Styx, or Alf. You know, that's the river of death. The meaning of this geographical myth is made clear by the primitive belief that the Styx 
represented Mother Earth's menstrual blood, the source and solvent of all things. <laughs> Those of us fortunate to have discovered our sexuality early and to have maintained it through life, in spite of what Alice Walker has called the patriarchal wound, we are the ones who must speak up about these things. Never mind what people say. Ladies are just those women who have been silenced. I date my patriarchal wound from the age of nine, but that too is another story which I will save for another day. Um, there have been men who have fought and died for women's human rights. In Burkina Faso, that uh, small African country, uh, there was a young president, Thomas Sankara, S-A-N-K-A-R-A. He was vocal in his opposition to female genital mutilation. That young man, that president of Burkina Faso, was assassinated in 1987. In the book Warrior Marks, there is a picture of Alice Walker putting a circle of stones on his grave. As I said, this material is very hard to deal with, and... Uh, uh, as Alice Walker says, we should go carefully and not take more than we can take. I noticed when I first began to study some of this material, uh, I needed to get away from it for a time, uh, not take in more than I could handle. I found that it was spoiling the arts of the Middle East for me. I felt that the whole culture was tainted with this tragic, uh, this tragic uh, practice. Let me read you a little passage uh, about the Somali women. I love this passage. It was the first hint I ever got that there might be something wrong uh, with the women. Isaac Dennison writes in Out of Africa, I cannot write much of the Somali women for they would not have liked it. Within their enclosed women's world I felt the presence of a great ideal without which they could not, would not have carried on so gallantly. They had the idea of a millennium when women were to reign supreme in the world. The old mother at such times would take on a new shape and sit enthroned as a massive dark symbol of that mighty female deity who had existed in old ages before the time of the prophet's God. Of her they never lost sight. In that same chapter on Somali women, she goes on to describe an especially bright and vivacious child uh, of 11, and then after excision, which is only hinted at, the child becomes, uh, as I said, a victim of soul murder, and she's then downcast and mute for the rest of her life. Uh, before this um, wounding, uh, Dennison writes, she was ever breaking away from the domain of the family to follow me about. She rode my pony, carried my gun. She would run with the Kikuyu Totos to the fishing pond, tucking up her skirts, galloping barefooted around the rushy bank with a landing net. But with time, under the influence of the others, the grown-up girls, she was transformed exactly as if a heavy weight had been tied onto her legs. She took to walking slowly, slowly. She held her eyes cast down. Her hair was cut no more. The novice gave herself up gravely to all the hardships of the right. Whether it's foot binding in China 
or siliconium plants here in the United States. Throughout patriarchal history, women have mutilated themselves in the hope of finding acceptance in male-dominated societies. They have also resisted. Yes, George Bernard Shaw once wrote that it is almost impossible to get women to take off their chains if those chains are respectable. <laughs> Social conditioning demands that women be clean and sweet-smelling for marriages. Oh. oh, I think of the military men over in the Middle East now. I wonder how they are dealing with the conditions there. I may have time to talk some more about Dr. Uh, Nawal El Sadawe. Let us hope that when she gets to Egypt, she uh, she is safe and that she can run for president of that nation uh, without running afoul of the powers that be. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air uh, Thursday morning. I'm going to talk about the fashion of feminism. <laughs> the unfashionableness of feminism just now. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So how do you become an activist? Two events. First on Thursday, March 10th, Carolyn Scar and Mark Sapir, MD. Second event on Friday, March 11th, Roy Campanella II, new general manager at KPFA, and Andrea Baffa of Global Exchange. Both events are at 7 p.m. at the Berkeley Unitarian Fellowship, 1924 Cedar Street in Berkeley, and benefit the Fellowship Social Justice Committee. Donations 